Afternoon. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you didn't have lunch plans already, a bunch of us are joining one another uh, for newcomers lunch right after. It's not too late to sign up. But uh, one of the most exceptional things about my morning thus far, this may not uh, wow you too much, which I just kind of let you down already. But one of the things that will wow you about my life is that Lindsay and I, my wife, we drove separately to church today. Pretty amazing, isn't it? You don't look shocked at all. You look like that's the most normal thing you've ever heard. And it is pretty normal. So uh, a little while ago, Lindsay and I picked up this car. We picked up this beautiful Subaru, which can conquer snow and terrain that you face you know, in Byron Center. All the mountains we have, this really helps. Uh, you get up those mountains at all-wheel drive. None of you. That wasn't funny. That's fine. I'll keep going. I will be here for the next 30 minutes. So. Um, and so we picked up this car, but it wasn't without a lot of striving. See, we had prayed and, and saved and worked really hard to try to just hone in. God, what's the, what's the right thing for us? You're like, it's a car. But we had never, up until this point, for a long stretch, had like a permanent second car. We had a, a second car for a season. We sold it. So the majority of our marriage uh, basically has been sharing a car together which has worked. Our love has blossomed as a result of our one car. Uh, but as soon as we moved to Grand Rapids and our jobs were in two very different areas, we decided it was time. So we'd saved up. We finally purchased this car. Something happened to me, though. It's like the day after we bought this car. Now, I'm a guy. And so maybe as a guy, you can relate. Maybe even as a woman, you can relate to this. As soon as we got the car, the next day, I was looking at other cars. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? So I'm on Facebook Marketplace. I'm on Car Gurus. I'm on Grand Rapids Craigslist. I'm the Detroit Craigslist. I'm on Fort Wayne Craigslist. I'm like all over. Just like, I wonder what we could have gotten with that same amount of money uh, as opposed to this Subaru. And uh, so I did that. And there was just like deep discontentment about it. And Lindsay would be so annoyed. She loves her car. This is her car, by the way, if you didn't notice from the picture. This is her ride. And uh, and I would just continually kind of poke and prod and be like, well, we could get this. Or it would be nice to have a truck. It would be nice to have a car, better gas. Maybe nice to have a Prius. We could do what Prius people do. And like, we went through all these different cars that you could have with that amount of money. I was deeply discontent. Now, I'm sure most of you can resonate, maybe not with a car, but you know the feeling of discontentment. You know when you've finally gotten something you thought would bring you that peace or that satisfaction, and then you get it? And you don't have that peace or satisfaction anymore. Remember, I can't get no satisfaction. Like, that's how a lot of us live kind of our daily lives. Maybe you've waited and you found your soulmate. And maybe you've been married for a long time. And, and over time, you lose some of the joy and satisfaction your marriage maybe once had. It doesn't fulfill you as much anymore. You're discontent. You have that feeling of emptiness. Maybe it was a job. And you were like, man, if I work hard, if I get the right training, if I get that next degree, I can then apply for the promotion I've always wanted. I can be in the corner office, or I can start my own business, or I can do whatever I think is going to bring me some of that peace, that, that joy, that fulfillment, the wholeness I'm longing for. Then you get it. And you don't have that peace, and you don't have that wholeness, and you don't have that satisfaction that you were looking for. I remember being a college student, sitting in my dorm room, literally having dreams and visions of living in a house. And I'm sleeping below a guy who smelled bad, who stole my body wash. I'm like, I just can't wait to have my own space, OK? Like someone else, uh, I can't wait to choose who I live with. That was kind of my default thing. And so eventually, we moved into an apartment after Lindsay and I got married. And now we're in the house search. And 
have had a house at times. And it's just so funny that even after I got those things, I still was discontent. Well, this part, apartment's too small. This house has too many problems. I just would go through the list and, and my discontentment would rise. Here's what I think that feeling is. And I know all of you and all of me, all of all the parts of me have felt this before. That feeling of discontentment is what the Bible describes as the feeling of worshiping other gods. Now, as soon as I say that, when you say worshiping other gods, you think idols, you think idolatry, you think Indiana Jones, you think voodoo dolls on your vacation, like you think all these weird things. Here's what I mean by idols. Here's what I mean by other gods. It's actually a paraphrase from a woman named Susanna Wesley, who hundreds of years ago was a part of the movement that our church is a part of. And this is what she said. She said, sin or idolatry is anything that cools my love for God. Anything that lowers the temperature of passion I have for, for Jesus in my life, that's sin. So it's not a list of rules. It's not a list of don't drink this, but you can drink that. But you can also drink that in moderation, but don't drink it too much. Like It's not that list maybe you grew up thinking through. It's not don't play cards on Sunday, but every other day is fine. It's not uh, don't dance, but you can dance everywhere else besides church. Like it, It's none of those things that maybe you and I grew up thinking. Sin, I believe, and idolatry, <clears throat> placing other gods above God, really has to do with anything that cools my love for God, that, that, that dampens the passion I have for him, that it takes away the heat from the fire of my spiritual life. So if that is true, if that's what idolatry is, and we all know the feeling of being discontent because we've worshiped other things, how do you then know when you're serving an idol? How do you know when your life is actually directed and worshiping other gods? It's an interesting thing. And it's throughout the scriptures, God's people went back and forth, back and forth. I actually want to turn you to a parable, though, something Jesus shared at a table, at a meal. And I want to invite you to turn there. Uh, not all the scripture we read will be on the screen, so you're going to want to have it with you. In Luke 14, verse 15, here's what we read. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Sounds really great, right? And here's how Jesus responds. Verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, what you need to understand, first century Israel, it's an RSVP culture. How many of you are, are planners and you're proactive just in your normal lives? Just throw your hands up super quick. Okay, perfect. You are my people, okay? I love when things are planned out. I love, uh, our, our staff always makes fun of me because I'm always talking about events that are like three, four, five, six months away. I've got things planned for January, okay? I don't know what your life is like. I've got things on my calendar for that. Uh, Lindsay is that way too. And it's just so funny. And that's what was happening in first century Israel. They were a planning culture because of how much work it took to put together a real legit banquet, a feast for that many people that we're talking about here. Uh, that took some planning. And so they had already been invited. They had had this on their calendar for a couple months. Here's what happens in verse 18. The story shifts. But they all alike began to make excuses you ever made excuses? Began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, 
I just got married. Seems like a legit reason. I just got married, so I can't come. I'm sorry. And, and the moment kind of shifts, and that's where we're going to pause for today and pick up on the next couple of weeks. What's happening here around this meal, this parable, this table, is Jesus is defining the kingdom of God. He's defining his kingdom culture. He's saying, my kingdom is best related to a banquet feast. It's related to a feast where all of these people are invited, and yet every single one of them, the guests of honor, all made excuses. They all had placed other gods before God. And our vision, you know, as a church is zero lives unchanged by Jesus Christ. And, and we have five kind of pillars of that vision posted around uh, every Sunday morning. And on our website and on social media, you can't really miss them. And the one we're talking about this morning is zero gods before God. I love what Martin Luther says. A theologian back a couple hundred years ago said that if you get the first two commandments right, if you remember 10 commandments or are familiar with them at all, First two, worship God only, serve no idols. Essentially, that's the core of the first two. And he said, if you do those right, you're not going to really bump into the other eight. It's going to be really easy to worship God and, and to dedicate a day of your life, a Sabbath, if he's really Lord of your life. If he's actually, there's only him. He's God. It's not going to be tempting to murder or steal from your neighbor or envy uh, what other people have or commit affairs when your life has the priorities in the right place, when you're truly just worshiping God. All the others will follow really well. That's what we mean when we say zero gods before God. There would be no idols, no addictions, no temptations, no investments, no relationships that place themselves above God's rightful place in our lives. And that's what I think is true about idols. Idols reveal that we are broken sinners and God is a beautiful savior. That's what I think this passage is really trying to hit at, that Jesus is portraying himself as having an incredible banquet feast, a, a meal that everyone he is invited to. And yet there's idols and things that got in the way of all three of these honored guests and just said, I've got more important things. My priorities, uh, you're not on the list, Jesus. I'm sorry. I've got other things going on. That's really at the core. And idols reveal that all of us have, have patterns and brokenness in our life and sin in our life. And yet God at the same time is a beautiful savior, the only one who can uproot the idols from us and free us and make us new people. See, when you first read, first pass at this parable, maybe you've read this before, maybe it's your very first time hearing this, at first pass, all the excuses are pretty legit, right? They're not things you'd be like, wow, that's like my dog ate my homework. Like that wouldn't really count with Jesus. But all of these culturally are legitimate things. I mean, they're talking about I got to take care of my property. Once I got to take care of my new possessions. Once I got to take care of this new relationship. They're all things that we would say are really important as you Kind of dig around, though, in the Greek, the, the phrase making excuses is a much stronger phrase. It has to do with rejecting and refusing God's way. So they're saying, OK, Jesus, thank you for inviting us to this great kingdom feast. I'm going to pass. I'm going to reject that way because my way is actually better. I'm going to choose to worship the gods of land or status or wealth. I'm going to choose to worship the gods of possessions or the things I've recently purchased. I'm going to choose to, to worship the new relationship I have or the family ties or the marriage. And, and it's a refusal of God's way. And it ups the ante every time. If you're like a writing nerd, you've kind of caught this already in this verse. 
see what happens. The first guy says, I must go. Please excuse me. That's number one. Number two, he goes, doesn't even really give a way out. He says, I'm going. <laughs> Please excuse me. Like, I'm already on the way. So sorry. Third guy doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm not coming and doesn't ask to be excused. It's like, I'm not even going to really say that I want a way back in. I'm just gone, OK? I, I just got married. I can't come. I've got things tying me down. And so every time, it gets progressively more of a refusal, more of a rejection of God's invitation to the kingdom table. Every time, it just gets more and more intense. And that's what idols do. The longer you worship them, the stronger they become. The, the more you are dedicating your nine to five life and, and centering your life around things that ultimately are temporary, the more you will be disappointed. See, when those people gave up the right to be at the kingdom table and they said, that meal is just not that important, do you think at the end of the day, as they're walking on their land, they were like, man, I wish I had gone? Or as they're hanging out with their new five yoke of oxen, <laughs> is that like a, a reward of some sort? Like, or were they sitting there in their marriage and like, man, this marriage is way better than sitting with Jesus at the table? It, just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I mean, you and I as a reader would be like, that, those things are not comparable. They don't make sense. It, but those all were the primary idols of the day. And I'd say they're basically the same thing. See, land was status. It was wealth. It was uh, prestige. It was significance. Any of you ever felt that before, the need to be significant? the need to be wanted, the need in your job to be important, to be CC'd on the email, like to be the person who knows land. And set, or what about possessions, materialism, the next house, the next car, the, the next toy, the next thing, the next achievement? It's tempting for all of us to make a possession, a, a thing, into a god, into an idol. It's also incredibly tempting in our day and age. I think this may be the most prevalent one we've seen. Relationships. If I'm single, I'm going to idolize the need to be in a relationship, that it's actually another human being that gives me fulfillment and satisfaction. Or uh, even things like a hookup culture, where so many people, this, you, people you would ask, like, I don't even know how many people I've slept with before. Even just that idea is, is an idol. It's saying, well, that sexual moment, that that 30 minutes of an exchange, or whatever it is, all of those things are more important. That's where I get satisfaction. That's where I get fulfillment. And the same goes for a marriage. <laughs> if you struggle with certain things and you get into a marriage, you're like, I can't wait to get married. I won't struggle with any of that anymore. Marriage is a great magnifier of your issues, by the way. So don't rush into it, OK? Marriage will just magnify those things. And you end up being empty and fulfilled like you already were. They're idols. They're the things that ultimately reveal we are broken sinners, and yet God is a beautiful Savior. Today, what idol does God want to remove in your life? Maybe it has to do with status. Maybe it has to do with possessions. Could do re with relationships. But how many of you are familiar with the story of the Titanic? Just by a quick show of hands, have you seen the doo -doo 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 OK, that's all I'm going to do of that part. <laughs> so. The movie is what I was getting at, and what came out was a melody. 
Um, but in the movie and other famous shipwrecks and things like that, they run into some problems mainly to do with icebergs, right? You've all seen a picture of an iceberg where it's like the tip is 10% and 90% is below. Uh, just for scale, this is one of my favorite pictures I've found. Just incredible. That's a big boat and the iceberg is looming. I mean, it's huge and it's like way, 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 way bigger on the bottom. I think when we talk about idols, here's what I want to kind of draw out for us and help us think about this in a different way. I'm going to attempt to draw an iceberg. Let's just pretend that's the bottom. So right here, this is what we're going to call surface idols. These things are the things that it's really easy to see. They're the thing like the new car. Well, if I just get that. If I can just finally get that thing, if I can get that. For some of us, like I said earlier, it's the house. If I can just finally, I just want to move in that neighborhood. I just want to, I want to leave. Maybe it's an apartment or a dorm room. I just can't wait to get my own place. It's then I'll feel rested and there'll be a refuge for me. I'll be at peace, like all the things that we tell ourselves. Others of us, it's just, it's the next boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, if I could only, if I could just get that, that would make me fulfilled. That would bring me wholeness. That would, that would essentially take the role that God is needing to play in my life. If I can just figure those things out. But here's what we know. An iceberg is much, much bigger below the surface. And here's what I would describe as something we're just going to call deep idols. These are things that if you really sit down long enough and get honest, that start to emerge. They're not, you don't really just want a car. You don't really just want a house. You don't really just want a, another uh, dating relationship or a spouse. So many of us idolize things like comfort. If I could just get to a place financially where I'm comfortable, I've got a little room to breathe, I've got some margin, I've got a couple vacations planned. Like if I can just get that that'll satisfy me. And our lives are bent on pursuing things like that. How about this one? This is a test in spelling, if I've ever had one. Performance. If I can just perform, if I can look successful to my boss or to my family or to my sports team, if I can just perform well enough, that'll meet my need. That'll allow me to have wholeness and, and rich meaning to my life. It'll give me Significance. How about this? Just so many of us bump into this. If I can just be secure. If I can chase some of these things that will bring me this, security. If I can just get mentally better. Or if I can have a relationship that lasts for longer than a few months. Or if I can have uh, the right relationships or uh, the financial place where I just feel secure. Uh, if I could just get security. If I could just be stable for like six months, then I would have the wholeness and satisfaction that my heart deeply craves. The, the problem is that so many times we just address these things. Okay, well, okay, I, want, I won't get a new car then. Is that what you're telling me, John? Okay, I won't get one. Okay, I'll be in my house for another year. I'll wait a little bit. Okay, I, I won't date anybody for like a couple months. I just won't. Or I'll, I'll stay true to my spouse. I won't look around. I won't do any of those bad things. I won't sin too bad. I'll just kind of stay in the context of my current relationship. And what we never address is what's under the deep idols, the things that often will uproot our love for God and allow us to experience 
life in him. And I love what Tim Keller says about deep idols. He says that the most painful times in our lives are times in which our idols are being threatened or removed. The most painful times, some of the most disillusioning moments of our life, the moments where we feel just out of control, lost, confused, thinking that we had some kind of control over life and these things start to shift and move, you realize you really don't, that you've got gods that are actually before God. And that ultimately is what this parable is really about. It's saying, what is most important to you? Where do you spend your investments, time, money, relationally? Where, where do you put the majority of your focus in your life? And that's what you're worshiping. What you love and desire, that is your God. And if your love and desire and mine has been for performance or comfort or security or any of these other wholeness or uh, fulfillment through other, pro other things, other people, ultimately you'll, you will be let down because idols, all they do is they reveal that we are broken sinners and yet God is beautiful. He makes us whole. And that's really at the core of what this table's all about. See, something you and I wouldn't know about this story as you dig into the story is that 700 years before this parable we just read, 700 years, Isaiah would write about in chapter 25 a feast of the kingdom of God, that when the, God, the kingdom of God comes, there'll be a feast. It'll be abundant. You won't be able to out-eat. <laughs> there will be drinks and the best things you can picture. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's for you is Chick-fil-A. Maybe it's Carabas. Maybe it's Cheesecake Factory opening next month. Like, not a big deal. Uh, maybe it's one of those things that you just say, that would be really good to have, like, forever. That's kind of the feast of the kingdom of God. It's just, it doesn't run out. There's no limit. It's like, if Old Country Buffet was really good, like that's what it would have been. It's just an incredible moment in the kingdom of God. He says, it'll be abundant. It'll also include all nations. How many of you know it's difficult to find unity in our world today? All of you know. I mean, it's not, you can look through social media for literally five minutes and find that we are so much more divided than we are united. But picture a table, picture a kingdom which all peoples come together, centered around their love for Jesus Christ, and they worship him. And they eat together. They're in communion with one another. There's zero unconnected in community. And for every single person, there are zero gods before God. That is the vision Isaiah gives. And finally, he says, we're going to celebrate at that table that death has been defeated, that the sin and brokenness you and I encounter, the suffering, the pain that's ripped through your family or destroyed your friendships or or marred your mental health, like all of those things will disappear. You'll be whole. You'll be safe. You'll be secure. You'll have real lasting fulfillment. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the meal that Jesus is describing is like. And yet all of those people said, I don't really need that. I've got oxen at home. I've got land to take care of. I've got marriages to, to figure out and, and to invest in. And none of those things are bad. But they were things that cooled their love for Jesus. They became idols. They were gods that placed themselves above God. So what idol does God need to remove in your life today? What's the thing? Where, where's your investment? What's the focus? What's your energy consumed with? When you lay in bed and you can't fall asleep, what do you think about? Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's reaching lost people. Maybe it's a lot of other selfish things. Maybe it's things that are actually idols and actually receiving our worship when they never should. See, 
I mentioned Lindsay and I are in the middle of this house search. And uh, if you've, how many of you just by quick show of hands have done like a, you've moved or you've bought and sold a house or you got rental things you're figuring out right now, just throw your hand up real quick just so I can identify and we can all have a support group after. Okay, perfect. So yeah, we are in the middle uh, culturally of what we would call a seller's market. Okay. And if you're in the real estate industry, that is not always the best thing to hear uh, as a buyer. And right now, Lindsay and I are in the process and we put some offers in. And so First offer, outbid, and we're like, oh, that's no problem. We know it's going to be tough. Second one, it was a house that we loved. It's like two weeks ago. House that we loved. I was sold. Uh, I'm all about turnkey. I do n- I'm not a home reno guy. I will do it because I love Lindsay, and that's the only reason I will do it. And uh, I, I said, this house is perfect. Like, it's got all the Whirlpool appliances. Like, what, what else would you need? Like, it's got a deep sink. It's got all my weird, quirky, non-negotiable, dual flush toilet. Like, what more could you want from a beautiful new house? Like, it was a beautifully renovated kind of old bungalow. And I was like, that is it. That's the house we want. The next couple of days were like some of the most tense, awkward, tear-filled moments in our marriage recently. There was just no peace about it. And I was on one page, and Lindsay was on the other page. And we just said, I was like, this is the one. She's like, this is not the one. I was like, no, this definitely is the one. Like, look look at all the stuff we're getting. Again, dual flush, deep sink, like all the things you need. This is definitely one. And she's like, no, 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 I do not think that this is the one. You know what that conversation revealed to me as the house eventually fell through? Our offer was accepted. Everything looked right. I was like, I'm winning, Okay, Uh, My side is right. And eventually, it fell through and a bunch of problems that we probably avoided. Realized that that search for me was not just about a house. It was about this. I just wanted to be secure. There's something about an apartment and all this weird stuff that just doesn't make you feel stable. And for me, as going into my six-year a full-time ministry, six-year of marriage, I realize that maybe that's an idol. Maybe there's something to me that is stirring up. Maybe I don't necessarily want to put it there. Maybe I've, I've given way more time to this than I have my passion for God. Maybe I've invested way more energy and resource and conversation and prayer just around this than I ever have for the, the lost person in my life, for God, what God wants to do in us as Center Church and we love our church. And this, for me, I was like, yeah, God, we want to get this so we can be here for another like 10 years or something. Like, give us this. He didn't give it to us. And so I, I'm sitting in that tension even right now. That's fresh. But what idol does God want to remove in your life today? What does he want to free you from? See, God is not out to, to condemn you or rebuke you or say, look at you. All the idols you have, you're jacked up. Because that's what happened in Israel. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus or God would actually address the surface and the deep idols and say, if you really want to be free, you got to be willing to uproot these. You got to be willing for me to step in and free you from the idols of comfort and security and performance and and status. You got to let me free you. And I don't know what that is for you today. Maybe it has to do with relationships. Maybe it has to do with grades. I know one area that seems kind of uh, peculiar, but as I've been sitting with community leaders and people in our area, one thing they say that just a problem that comes up again and again, nearly every household they hear about this is the issue of vaping and substance abuse. And they say that for many people, this has has become this, that I'm consumed by it. I think about it. It gets my time. It gets my energy. It gets my resource. I'm, I'm controlled by other things. 
I'm worshiping other gods because maybe those will somehow bring me satisfaction or peace or rest, and it does not work. Friends, it does not work. And you may not wrestle with any of these things. Maybe it's something else. But idols only serve to reveal that you and I are broken sinners, and God is a beautiful Savior. He can free you. He can make you new. And maybe you're like, OK, I, I've, I'm in. I, I think I already know what it is. Like, I, there, maybe it's one of these things. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you can already, you've already done some heart work. And you already know, here's maybe some of those deep idols that, that I'm actually serving. And they're taking the place of, of God being God in my life. Here's what will break the power of that for so many of us, is simply saying, who am I going to tell about this? Because what you keep in secret, what you let just fester in your life, and some of us have lived with some of these for decades, we don't even know what these are. It just feels a part of us. But if we allow someone to be in, and maybe that's in a community group, maybe that's in a discipleship group, maybe that's with your spouse, or if you're a student in the room, maybe you call your mom or dad, or whatever it is to figure out, God, I just want to be free. But you're not going to be free unless you, you let someone else in. See. You and I, for so long, think we can do all of these things on our own, right? I, I, even if I knew what my idol was, I'm strong enough to figure it out. I'm strong enough to get rid of it. I'm strong enough to uproot it from my life. It's, it's not true. It's a trick. It's deceit. It's not going to bring you the fulfillment. You may get temporary gains in this. You may pursue this. But eventually, if you just keep working and make your life better, you will fail. You will be disappointed. And your idols will just reveal how broken you and I really are. Who will you tell? Who will you share? Who will you let in to that process? Who will you allow to speak truth? Because imagine if, rather than being based around these deep idols and trying to figure out the surface idols and just try to remove the iceberg altogether, imagine if that hope-filled vision of the kingdom of God was your daily experience. Abundance, unity wholeness, freedom, actual like a breaking away from the chains of sin and addiction and temptation and brokenness in our life. That's the hope-filled vision. They don't have to wait for heaven to find that. Jesus has brought heaven to you and allowed you to step into the kingdom of God right now, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in step with him, that you can find that freedom. Heaven is an invitation. It's a, it's a meal. Join me at the table. Lay down your excuses. Lay down your brokenness. Lay down those things. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful God. What a, what a powerful one that we get to interact with and serve. I realize that, just to give you a, a break, that this is heavy stuff, OK? This is not, all right, I figured it out. I'm going to leave church, go have lunch, and then move on. Like, this is stuff that God may be stirring in you for years. This is stuff that even now, as a pastor, I'm working through these things. I've got people in my life who are speaking into those, making sure that I'm living in step with freedom. I'm living in step with the truth of God's word. And that's, that's the call for you. Who will you tell? Who you let in to speak truth into that? I love if I can just to pray over you. And uh, I invite you just to bow your heads as a way to focus. And as we think about, and I know this is true, so true for me, as we think about this, at times it can just be overwhelming. And there may be times where we feel inadequate. We don't know, OK, even if I knew some of these, God, what, what do you want me to do? And I just I want to pray specifically for you today, the, the person who's sitting there. And maybe that's you.